check, check. Oh. Hello. Whoa. How's everybody doing? Cool. Thanks for coming back. We are excited to be here. My name is Ben Cunnington, and this is my beautiful wife. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to say a quick hi and uh, tell you about a couple of things real quick. And then I'm going to pray for my wife because I love praying and I love praying for her. And, uh, and then we'll get going. So it's good to see all of you. We love Canada. And um, so, yeah, I, we're, we're actually sad that we only get to stay here for two days. And, but uh, I think we'll get to go check out the mall, I think, for like an hour after this. And so it'll be fun. And I'm going to try to ride the roller coaster uh, at, least at least five times. And then uh, that'll be my experience. So, But, yeah, I wanted to tell you about a couple of quick things. Uh, some of you may have seen the product uh, table out there. But... Um, these are a couple of, um, they're d- daily devotionals. So some of what you're going to hear today is uh, a little bit of what's in here. This is called I Do Hard Things. And then the other one is called Keep Calm, Finish Strong. But they're, um, you know, one of our hearts is to really give tools, practical tools to put in people's hands to, again, even with what this community is embracing and wanting to go after of just establishing an everyday lifestyle of how do you walk out the things of God in and growing and um, and so this is these are both uh, great tools that will help with that. Uh, this is kind of a renewal. Actually, this is well. Can we talk about it? Yeah. Why don't you talk about this? But the the keep confidence strong was is more of like a renewal process, uh, defeating the enemy, which we heard last night, and then renewing the mind, um, speaking life, the power of our words, and and how we actually begin to take. Uh, the, the, the take captive the things that we're saying and the things that were the things that are negative that we don't actually need to be saying that stuff and what, what's the truth that we actually need to be speaking over ourselves and to others and the life that that's going to bring so but yeah talk about this and then we're going to get going okay I'll talk I'll about this today you. after I after okay I start. Whoops. <laughs> it's that it's, it's one too many it's that one right. book too heavy okay right. well yeah. lord we love you. We love what you're doing in our midst, and we love what you're doing in Canada and with resurgence. And um, Lord, I just pray right now. We ask again for your Holy Spirit to come and just be with us. Yeah, God. We know that your presence is here already when two or three are gathered, that you're in our midst. And so right. we just say um, you're welcome here. You're welcome in this place. You're welcome in our hearts. You're welcome yeah, to do what you want to do. And Lord, I bless Havilah as she's uh, speaking right now. Lord, I ask for just your words, Lord. Lord, we ask for your voice to be heard and your words to be spoken. Lord, come and just breathe upon every heart. uh, Breathe upon every uh, mind. Lord, uh, open our eyes to see and open our ears to hear what you want to say. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Thank you. Hot stuff. Hi, how are you? One o'clock on a Saturday morning, afternoon. We are here. I love how this thing, boop. It's okay. I'm going to take these off, Travis. I don't mind. Um, maybe, yeah, I don't know. Uh, thank, I don't know. Thank you for um, coming. We uh, were so, we just had breakfast with your team of leaders, our surgeons, and I mean, what an amazing community, what an amazing team uh, that you have. And um, wow, this just... Don't mind, this is behind the stage. Last night was awesome. How many of you were here last night? Just kind of, okay, awesome. So how many were not? We just want to publicly shame you right now for not being here. 
Um, <laughs> so I'll give you a little bit of a, a heads up. My husband and I are from California. Um, we have four boys. We have a seven-year-old Judah, a six-year-old Hudson, a three-year-old Grayson, and a one-year-old Beckham. And we are done. We are so, so done having children. Uh, my tubes have been cut, tied, and burned. And so I'm not having any more children. And um, we, uh, we, don't, we don't even hug. We don't kiss. We don't go in jacuzzis. We are completely away from having children. But we, um, we love our boys, and they're wild, and they're, you know, boys are... Boys are amazing, and they're gross all at the same time. And so that's our boys. I grew up in a very female home. I have a twin sister, and I have a mom, and I have an Italian dad who's almost a girl. And so we uh, had a very dominant female home. My dad cried more than all of us. And so now I have five boys in my house, five little men, five, one big man, and then five little, four little men, sorry, and, uh, or sorry. Uh, but anyway, they, uh, they have... We have boys everywhere, boys everywhere, and everything is noises and sounds and guns. And, you know, they, they love to use the words kill and die and pain. And, you know, is it bleeding? It's better if it's bleeding. And so it's been very interesting. In fact, in our home, when someone says, I, I grew up in a girl home, which means if you say that's gross in a girl home, you go, what's gross? You're like, oh, you know, I spilt this, or my nail broke, or, you know, it's gross. Boys, if a boy says that's gross, don't ask. A a man's level for that's gross is a completely different level than for a girl. So I used to, as a naive newlywed, would say, what's gross? And then, oh my gosh, if that's the last thing I see, I'll never make it to heaven. And so I uh, am definitely, it's a different thing. So when the boys say that's gross, I just yell out, don't tell me, I don't want to know. You know, take it away out of the room. I just, I want to stay pure. So it's a different world, but uh, we are honored to be here. And today I want to, if you're taking notes, I hope that you are. Because today's, this, this afternoon's more of a workshop than a message. And I want to give you a ton of tools to help you be a healthy Christ follower. Because like, that's what's important in our lives. You know, I can inspire you, but you'll leave not having much. They say that, um... If you um, sit passively in a room and listen to someone speak, in about four weeks, you'll, you'll re- retain about 10%. If you agree with the speaker, answer the questions internally, and yeah, that's good, and kind of agree with it, you'll retain 30 to 40%. If, but if you interact with it, you take notes, you agree, you see how it applies to your life, you um, say amen out loud. No, I'm kidding. I'm, I added that, but... Or you're brilliant, even yell that out loud. You're brilliant, you're amazing. Oh my gosh, no, I'm kidding, don't, don't, please don't yell things like that. Uh, but if you respond like that, you retain 80% of the content in four weeks. So it really shows you how much us engaging in what's being taught, us agreeing, us writing things down, or nudging our partner and saying, see, I told you, or whatever it is, we actually retain it. So my goal is that you retain. I mean, I, I don't want to waste your time. You came out on a, on a Saturday afternoon at one o'clock. Well, God knows what you could be doing. And I want you to know, like, we came here, we got four kids. I could be doing laundry or changing someone's diaper. And so I, I want to give you something that you're anointed to live the life you're called to live, you know? Like, one thing that I've been stuck on lately is just that reality that we're anointed to be in our present. Like, whatever you're doing right now, you're anointed to do. You know, if you're a mom or you're a wife or you're a student or a, or a, a leader or a boss or, you know, or if you're a, a dad or, or a, a 
an, uh, an employee or you're, you're leading something, listen, you are anointed for your present. Whatever that is, you have an anointing to live in it right now. And so today my message is entitled, I Do Some Things. It's taken out of my series, I Do Hard Things. And the series that I wrote was really about a season when I was doing hard things. We had been laid off from our job. We had four kids. I'd had my fourth C-section. Our little guy was in the NICU for 10 days. Um, and we, I was fighting postpartum depression for the fourth time in my life. And so I, I was going through this uphill battle as a leader, as a pastor, as a Bible-believing Christian. I was going, how many of us know that, that we can go through hard things and still love God? Can we just get off that track that says you're doing something wrong because you're experiencing pain? That is not true. The Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust, which means you will not always go without pain. But it doesn't mean you, you can, but you won't go without hope. And that's the difference, right? Is that we have hope. We know that all things work together for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. We know that nothing is without accident in our life, that God has a providential will and that we lean into that. And the Bible says that we're born in this generation on a purpose. David was born in his generation. The Bible says that David left his generation when his work was done within his generation which gives us understanding that you are born for this generation. When I say generation, I mean if you are breathing, then this is your generation. If you're alive, then this is your generation. And the Bible talks about that we have a call. We're called according to a purpose in this generation. I, I love the quote that says, just you being born in this generation is evidence that your life possesses something this generation needs. So your gift mix, the way you think, the way you process the way that you want to lead something shows, shows uh, evidence that God put you in this earth. In fact, they did a survey, and I don't have all of it. I asked for information sent to me, but they studied this generation. And what researchers believed was that this generation was going to be the most broken, burned down, you know, because of all of our... Um, uh, accessibility to things that can destroy us. They just assumed that our generation would be the least likely to succeed. We'd be the most broken coming out of the 50s and 60s and 70s, 80s and 90s, which are our lock key kids. Parents are working hard, all of this. And now in 2000s and a little bit above, we're learning that our generation is set up. They said it's going to be one of the most great. We are, we are in our DNA, all they can assess and, and, and come to find out is that within us, there is greatness. And in fact, what they're seeing is there's a link between social justice and a desire for the kingdom being linked within us. And so we're finding an entrepreneurial spirit within our generation that says, I want to do great things for God, but I also want to change the world. Like I want to feed the hungry. I want to clothe the people that need clothes. I want to adopt the child that doesn't have parents. Like, there's something within us that wants to act. We're no longer just sit, willing to sit in a pew and say, yeah, that's great. We love you, God. We hope somebody else will go. We want to apply our education and our, our talents towards something that's world-impacting and, and changing our nation. And so I just, that's exciting to me. Like, I'm like, that's, that feels good to me. Um, and so I, I just feel like, that reality is that we are called to greatness, but it may not look like it's within the church walls. It's okay. Like your greatness may be that you're out doing something else, but, you know, platform ministries may be 5% of the whole, I mean, maybe 1% really of the whole world. But most of us will just be serving God outside of these walls. So how do we do that well? You know, I always say, I, you know, I meet God between the wash and the dryer most days. It's true, because I'm doing laundry most days. I'm going to the grocery store. I'm trying to keep four kids alive. 
And so, you know, that's my world most days. And so how can I find God in the midst of it? And what I, I found was um, that I did not know what I needed. And after I'd had my second son, Hudson, our second son, Hudson, um, I had had two kids back to back. Within three years, I had two infants. And, um, you know, it's just, an, I, was a old, I was older at that point. I had gotten married at 29, 28, 27, was pregnant, had two kids by 30. So here I'm a 30-year-old. I'm a pastor. I've been traveling since I was 17. I was an ordained minister at, um, I don't know, I think 22, 23. So I was a, a teaching pastor at a church, and I'm in leadership. I love God. I'm following. I'm not dealing with the basic things that we're dealing with. Should I serve God? Does he have a plan for me? That's not my issue at all. I'm actually on my journey to fulfilling what I feel like is in my life or on my life. And I um, am a total wreck. I go into the pediatrician's office, and I explain to her how hard, I'm having a hard time. I can't keep up with my kids. I'm overwhelmed. She says to me, well... It sounds like you have postpartum depression. And when she says it, I immediately know that's exactly what's going on because I, can't, I feel like my world has gotten about this big and I can't, I can't feel any of the good stuff. I can only feel the bad stuff, which is a very much of a sign of depression. You can't feel any of the good stuff. You feel like you're just functioning and even the smallest things are all you can actually you know, achieve. And these are things that I can't figure out what's going on. So she said it to me. Well, I have a friend who was a Christian counselor as a mom. She was a pastor's wife. Now she's gone into full-time um, counseling. And so I call her up and I, I run into her office. And when you say postpartum depression, the counselor wants to see you that day because they think you might have postpartum psychosis, which is like, hey, I just put my kids in a car down the river. So they want, they're like, come hang out with me. And so, you know, you don't know that at the time. They're like, we'll get you in right now. And you're like, that's awesome. You have no idea. They're like, you could be crazy. Let's get this girl in here. So it's kind of funny how they treat you. But so you're just, you think you're awesome. You're not. They're scared for your children. So they get you in there. And so I sit down with her and she says, let me just ask you some questions. And so she begins to ask me questions about how I'm doing. She asked me about 15 questions, and she says she sits back, as every good counselor does, and with, on her, her pad and her legs crossed. If you've ever been in a counselor's office, you know what I'm talking about. They sit and just look at you, and you're thinking, oh, you just want to confess whatever is in your heart. You're just like, I'm so sorry I thought this. But so she sits there, and she says, well, do you want to know what I think? And I said, of course. I'm a doer. Of course I want to know what you think. And she said, well, um, 14 out of 15 questions are, are a yes that you have postpartum depression. You're, you're struggling with this. So I, of course, am a mess. And I asked the question, what do you want me to do? Because I'm a leader and leaders do things. So what do you want me to do? And she says to me, um, well, actually, I don't want you to do anything. She said, how are you sleeping? And I said, I don't, how do you think I'm sleeping? I have two kids under, two, like three, like I'm not sleeping. I'm functioning. But, you know, she said, I'm not going to give you one thing to do. We're not going to talk about anything about your life until you get three nights of sleep, full nights of sleep. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking. Like, this does not feel spiritual at all. Like, this feels carnal. Sleep is for, for weak people, you know? And so she's like, she said, your brain doesn't have the capacity to, to take anything that I'm giving you and function with it until you have a good night's sleep. So she said, I will see you next week, but I want you to, this week to work on three nights of eight hours of sleep. If you wake up by an alarm, it means you haven't actually had a good night's sleep. I want you waking up with the sun, and, and you've got to get your, you know, the bottles ready and get your mom and your husband to function and feed the baby, and you just work on getting a good night's sleep. So I did that. 
Well, I began to get healthy. She, I went to her and she began to teach me some things. But it was one day after I had gone through all of that, I began to get healthy and began to function and felt like I started to have the feel good days again and my serotonin was back up and I was feeling like I can do this. She said these words to me that really shook me up. She said, you know, Havala, you would have eventually ended up in my office. The pregnancy just fast forwarded the process. And I said, you jerk. And I walked out. No, I said, I was like, what do you mean? And she goes, your life was set up for disaster. Your life was on a, on, a, on a place where you were going to have a crisis and your pregnancy just kind of tied your hands enough to where you couldn't get the help you needed. And so she said, I, I want to teach you what it is to live a godly life with balance and boundaries. I want to show you what it looks like, what a godly woman looks like. And uh, I'm so glad us women could learn. No, I'm kidding. All the guys are like, are we here about godly women? I'm going to teach you how to be a godly woman. <laughs> They're like, oh my gosh, it's a different age. No. So... <laughs> like, you're going to post it on Facebook. I learned how to be a godly woman today. Your friends are like, that's not healthy. Um, <laughs> so, so I'm going to teach you what it is to be a godly follower. I'm a, I've been a pastor now for, I mean, we're 17 years leading. And I feel like I have, we run two ministries full time. We're on the road two to three times a month. We have four kids. And I relatively like my life. And the reason I like my life is because I have some very serious boundaries, but I also understand uh, what God holds me responsible for and what he doesn't. And see, as a Christ follower, many times we can expect that God's holding us responsible for things that he's not. And what I have found is if you really love God, it's not so much that we're not doing enough as that we're doing too much. And that's where the enemy works in our lives. It's not trying to get us to actually show up and do things. It's that we have a tendency to overwork and overvalue and overassess things that God's asking us to do. And the Bible says very clearly, find out what pleases God and do it. Which means there's parameters to pleasing God. There's parameters to what he expects. There's boundaries, if you will. There's clarity. There's enough. And so... I want us this, in the next hour, to get to a place where we understand, you understand very clearly what God holds you responsible for and what in someone else's life you are not responsible for. Biblically. Not just what I think sounds good psychologically or, but theologically, what does God actually ask you to manage well? And um, I believe it's going to give you a good sigh of relief. Turn your Bibles to Galatians if you have them. Galatians 6. I got to say, man, I don't, your, your city is so pretty. We have a, a view in our a hotel and I took a picture of the sky, skyline. And I think Travis said, is there like 12 more, whatever, being built? Is that right? More sky, sky risers, sky, high risers, sky risers. They should be called sky risers. I just renamed that right now. They rise to the sky. So pretty. Here's what I think about your city. And I'll say this a little bit tonight, but. You guys are on the verge of something really great. And what I'm sen- sensing is, is that you all are going to get a voice. Not just from the stage or from the mic, but everyone's going to get a voice in this. And you're going to be able to lead uh, with confidence in this season. So Galatians chapter 6, verse 2 through 5. I'm going to talk about the difference between a burden and a load, and then I'm going to break it down. So if you are underlining or you have your Bible, I want you to underline this phrase. Carry each other's burdens. Underline the word burdens, make an arrow towards it, circle it, 
burdens. And in this way, you fulfill the, the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is not, they deceive themselves. Each one of you should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own what? Okay, so is, is the author confused? The author just said in the beginning of the passage, each of you should carry your own load. But then all the way down, burden, excuse me, but then all the way down to the bottom, it says each of you should carry your own load. So am I supposed to carry each other's burdens or am I supposed to carry my own load? I don't, I don't know how else to do that. Well, it kind of breaks it down a little bit when you understand the Greek and break it down. The word burdens, each, carry each other's burdens, is a Greek word that carries, that means excessive burdens or crushing load. Excessive burdens or crushing load. You cannot translate the Greek word for word to English. So when you're studying the word, and those of you, you need to learn to study the word. Well, I'm not a Bible teacher. No, you're a Christ follower. Well, how do I study the word? You, listen, some of you don't like the word because you are actually smarter than what you're reading. What I mean by that is there's so much within the word that if you begin to learn the word in a deeper way, you'll get a bigger picture of what that looks like. There's all kinds of resources, blueletterbible.org, free resource. You type in any scripture in there and you, you, you press that little C and that C letter will give you what each word means in the Greek. And it will, it'll give you something like this, burdens, excessive cr- burden, crushing load. It'll show you what it means. Now, usually the author in Greek, um, they're usually, there's, they're, there's, uh, They're painting a picture of what a person is like. So you can't just go word for word. Burdens, excessive load. They're showing you a picture. So when it says a crushing load, what the author is giving you is a picture of a rock. A huge boulder, if you will. And so he's saying each, carry each other's burden, which means, hey, when somebody has a crushing load, when they can't do what they need to do, get in there and help them. That's godly. Help them carry their own load. Help them carry their own burden crushing load. But then we drop down to the next part of this. Well, excuse me, burden means helping others to do what they cannot do for themselves. Burden, carry each other's burden, help them do what they cannot do for themselves because you are responsible to each other. You're responsible, I'm responsible how I treat you, how I talk to you, how I uh, communicate to you. I'm responsible for that. To, to you, excuse me. Galatians 6, 5 says, each of us should carry our own load. That word in the Greek means cargo, burden of daily toil. Load, cargo, which is the next, to be the next slide, cargo, burden, or daily toil. And that picture is of a backpack. So the author is saying, hey, guess what? When you have a crushing load, a boulder that's coming down on you, we're going to reach out and help you. But it's not biblical of me to carry your backpack. You have your own backpack that God's asked you to carry, and that's your daily toil, your daily load, and it's your responsibility, and you get to carry that. So I'm responsible to you, but I'm not responsible for you. I'm responsible how I treat you, but I'm not responsible that, I, that you make, that you feel good about it. 
That's not my responsibility. I can't, I'm not that powerful. I can't go in and make you feel good about how I treat you. I can only treat you away, and then it's up to you how you respond. So each of us should carry our own load. How many of you know people that expect you to carry their daily toil? Don't look around. Well, I couldn't get there because the car had no gas, and, and I couldn't, and I, well, that's funny. We all put gas in our car. We all showed up on time. Well, I, you know, I can't pay my bills because I just, I, you know, I, I'm out of money. I just don't have any money because I'm, I'm only working part-time because I, the other time I'm just trying to serve God and serve other people. Well, we're all working full-time jobs to pay for the bills we have. You see, there's a, there's a tendency for irresponsible people to expect you to be responsible for them. In every relationship, there's usually somebody who's overly responsible and somebody who's under-responsible. And so what, what he's saying, what the Bible is saying is, it's not godly for you to carry somebody else's daily backpack. I just want you to think about that. The Bible is saying it's not godly for you to take somebody else's daily responsibility and do it for them. It's their responsibility to do it for them. You see, if we take other people's daily load, when someone has a crushing load, we can't get to them. Somebody has a crisis. Somebody loses somebody close to them. Somebody loses a job. Somebody's sick. Somebody has a child that needs help. Somebody needs, they're in crisis. And the body of Christ was meant to run and help them. But if we're busy taking care of everybody's simple things, then we don't have the energy, the strength, the capacity to get to the people the Bible actually asks us to get to. So me being a godly leader, a godly person, a Christ follower, is my ability to understand what someone's load is and what someone's burden is. And to define that, to differentiate between what is that will allow me to be available when I need to be available. Some people will act like their backpack is a burden. And you, will, you won't notice it until pretty soon you're on the third month of carrying the backpack around. And then you realize every time you got to eat, they never have money. Every time you go somewhere, you've always got to drive them around. Every time they're in crisis, your relationship is always about getting them out of crisis. And you realize, wait a minute, I'm, go- I'm doing the same thing they're doing, but they're not able to do it. And see, the Bible says that God has systems to teach us, which means part of one of God's systems that he's put into place to help us be godly and healthy and alive is something called reaping and sowing. I didn't make that up. God made that up. And part of the reason he made up reaping and sowing was that his system would teach that us that what you sow, you reap. Now, that works great when you're sowing the right stuff. It sucks when you're sowing the bad stuff right? And so many times, those of us that are overly responsible will have a very hard time watching somebody reap something that they've sowed. And so we will think it's being unmerciful, ungracious, not being kind to not intervene on their behalf to help them. But what you're doing is you're delaying their process of growing up. You're actually not being loving. You're actually managing your anxiety of watching somebody have a hard time. And so because you don't like to 
have, watch them, it makes you feel anxious, you'll intervene, and guess who benefits from that? You do, because you feel good about being the Savior. Look at me, I saved him again. Look at me, I'm the superhero, I'm the rock star, I'm, I'm just a servant of God, I'm just here to help. Well, guess what? You just allowed them to go around the mountain again because you interrupted their process, which God set up for them because irresponsible people do not learn through lectures. They learn through consequences. I'll say that again. Irresponsible people do not learn through lectures. How many of you would consider yourself a pretty responsible person? You don't have to lift your hand, but I'm talking to you. You're like, I am. See how responsible you are? You're like, I'm so responsible. I'll lift my hand right now. No, listen. <laughs> how many of you that are responsible would learn if somebody lectured you? Somebody said, don't do that again. You go, I would learn from that. Well, that's because you're responsible. You, how many of you have ever tried to counsel somebody who's being irresponsible? You said, you figured it out. You know exactly what to do. I've had so many counseling sessions where I'm like, I can bet biblically back up everything I'm about to say. And I package it. And it's amazing. And, blah, 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 blah. and they go, yeah, but that's not really it. And you're like, I want to punch you in the face right now is what I want to do. Because I know that what I said was amazing. And so my husband's laughing at me. Listen, irresponsible people do not learn through lectures. They'll let you lecture them as long as you change your answer. They'll let you tell me everything you want, but as long as you'll help me. I'll sit and listen to you as long as you give me the ride. I'll sit and listen to you as long as you take my phone call. I'll sit and listen to you as long as you take care of this for me. But the moment you say, actually, I'm not going to be able to do that for you, you actually see what they really think of you. And if you're easily replaced at the moment they get their need met. And sometimes that's hard for us to realize that our relationship was built more on us helping them and supplying them with what they need than actually a healthy, authentic friendship. So our ability to realize we were never as leaders called to be parental, we're called to be influential. See, there's a time in our lives as leaders with our families, if you have kids that are over 18 or under 18, listen, there's a point in a, in when you have kids in a relationship, and you'll see the same in your own family. If you're a kid in a family and you have parents, think about your younger siblings or your older siblings. Think about this. There's a point in par- per- being a parent where you are parental, which means I'm going to tell you exactly what to think about this. I'm going to tell you what to do. And guess what? We're all going to be happy doing it because I'm the boss of you. And you can say that out loud. It actually does help. I, we're all going to do this. I'm going to make every decision. I'm the leader. I'm being parental. This is what we're going to do. But when they become adults, 18, they become their own person. You no longer are parental. You're influential which means I can give you advice, but I have to step away. I, cannot, I can no longer tell you what to do. In fact, I can try to, but you're not going to do what I want you to do, and I'm going to get really upset because you're not doing what I want you to do because I'm trying to be parental, and you are acting like I'm, a, I'm an influence. Guess what? You are. And so what I've seen in the church, I don't know if you have it here in Canada, but in America, we, I see a lot of leaders try to be parental with people. Try to help them make the right decisions. Show them what to do. Lead them. Parent them. Be there. Instead of actually waiting for the person to come for advice, we get in there and tell them what we think. Instead of watching somebody struggle and going, you know what? When they're ready, they'll come and ask. We have a tendency to want to rescue them so we can get to them quickly so that we don't all have to feel a little uncomfortable because someone's struggling. 
So this passage is so key to us living a balanced life. It allows me in my marriage to say, actually, that's your burden. And I, I don't have to carry that. Or you know what? That's your load. I'm here. I'm with you. I'm on your team. And see, what some of our greatest arguments is when I expect him to carry my daily toil, and it's actually my responsibility. Or I expect him to be telepathic and know exactly what I need, because that's what really loving husbands do, is they know how to read our minds. When really, I can get upset and throw a fit and go, well, that's not helping me, but is it really my responsibility or is it his? It's the balance between it all. In fact, God wants you to be so healthy and have so much, be so relaxed. This is important. Be so relaxed, have so much time that when someone needs something, you have an abundance of it to give to somebody else. It's like, hey, can you help me? Sure. But you can't do that if you are the helper in all your relationships, the savior in all your relationships, the counselor in all of your relationships, the open door in all of your relationships, you will not have excess to give to the people that need it. It's not healthy, and it's not what God's called us to. And you know what? Really spiritual people look like they have an open door, and they're always available, and they're always there. You know what? That's a lie. That doesn't make you more spiritual just because you're always there. It doesn't make you more spiritual because you're always helping people. We have no idea what your heart, how your heart feels. We're, we're taking an outside view of what your life looks like and saying, now that's a truly spiritual person. What if a truly spiritual person is someone who's actually rested on the inside, ready to pray, ready to give, and when they do, they, they invest in such a way that they know there's a return on it? What if they're not always broke emotionally or spiritually, but they actually have an investment? They've actually storehoused so much that when people need something, they're ready to give. Do you know, in my life... People go, how do you do it, Havala? We're on the road, like I said, two to three times a month. I mean, I was only home 15 days in February, 17 days in January. I think the same in March. We have four kids. How do you do it? You know how? Because when I get home, nobody gets me. I don't go to coffee with people. You're like, that sounds mean. I am mean. <laughs> you know why? Because I have four children that need every bit of me. And I, my responsibility is them. The Bible says go into all the earth. That means go into my living room. On most days, that's going to my living room. And so my ability to structure my life where I don't have girls' nights out. I'm not, I'm not going over here and going over here and doing, I'm not doing that most days. Why? Because I've had to live in such a way that when I'm home, I'm storehousing so we can come to Canada and speak for three, two days and speak three times. And we were just at camp this week and spoke three times. We, we did all of that because I've built enough within my bank account I can go and give, and I can't get on that plane and be completely bankrupt of energy, time, grace. I can't do that. The enemy would love nothing more than to wear me out from good stuff. Can we just get honest? The enemy would love nothing more than you to be a worn-out spiritual person. Not just from good stuff, but from, I mean, not just from grace, but just the stuff, well, can you just, can you, well, what? Hey, just get up and pray. You know, I have found God loves you to get a good night's sleep. I don't want to offend you, but I have a hard time believing that God's asking you to do a bunch of spiritual stuff so you can be spiritually exhausted all the time. Maybe you've added a little bit to what he's asked you to do. And maybe it feels better on the inside to do what feels better when God's saying, turn off the computer, go to bed, get a good night's sleep. My mercy's new every morning and you need new mercies. You've ran out today, you'll go to bed and you'll get some new mercies tomorrow. 
Do you know how many life crises I've had at one o'clock in the morning on Facebook? <laughs> one o'clock, oh, we didn't go on vacation like that. Well, we've never bought a house like that. Man, why did I? I mean, just ridiculous. You know why? Because the nighttime is when the enemy loves to play things out on our minds. You know, we, we had up a moral revolution, which we had up a sexuality, healthy sexuality ministry. And I would have to say, a lot of what we find is that in the night hours are when people make the worst moral decisions. Because your defenses are down, you're tired, you're not alert. The Bible says, stay sober, be alert, be sober. The enemy prowls on like a roaring lion. Well, I would say being sober is also being awake, being alive. You know, we make stupid decisions when we're tired and I'm a night person. Well, maybe you're a night person every, every other night, but you don't need to be a night person every night. You know, one of the most spiritual things I did for my life was set a bedtime. How many of you found that like, hey, I'm an adult, I can do, you know, I have a bedtime. Why? Because I just found in my own life, I don't do healthy things at night. I watch crappy TV and I hang out on the internet and I waste time and I'm just not as healthy as I could be if I go to bed, get a good night's sleep and wake up in the morning. Some of you are night people and that's when God speaks to you and I'm not trying to take that away from you, but I'm just saying, figure out what God's called you to do and do that well and get some margin in your life. So here's what I want to talk about a little bit. We're responsible to each other, but not for each other. 1 Corinthians 10, 23 says, all things are legitimate, permissible. We are free to do anything we please, but not all things are helpful, which means the good idea can oftentimes be the enemy of the great idea. The enemy in your life, if you really love God and you're seeking him, it's never going to be the bad idea, good idea in your life. That's a bad idea. That's a good idea. Well, life and death, what should I choose? It's never going to be that for you anymore. You know what's good. Your enemy is going to be good and great. It's, it's just, that's just the truth. Are you good at things? Yes, you love God. You're anointed. You got a little bit of anointing in your life, of course. You've been following after him. But what is God asking me to do and having the word of the Lord for that? Not all things are helpful. Doing everything does not allow you space to determine what's beneficial to you. Doing all things will eventually hurt you. Good things become the enemy of the best things. Proverbs 25, 28 says, you want to write that down. Proverbs 25, 28 says, Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. Like a city whose walls are broken down. How many of you know that we are to have walls around us? What I mean by that is this. If, let's see, okay. If Diana and I lived by each other and we had houses. Mine was a two-story, white, black shutters, beautiful porch, swinging Speak it out. God hears that, and I believe he's making that for me right now. So anyway, we live next to each other, and I had a, I had a fence. And every Saturday morning, Diana went out to, to clean her yard, mow it, you know, clean it up, sweep. And every Saturday afternoon, I would get out on my porch, and I would be so mad at her because she never mowed my lawn. And I would, I, she'd walk out, I'd go, you are so selfish. Look at you, you didn't clean my yard up. You know, you could have. You had the time. You had the energy. She would say, if she was healthy, she would say, that's your yard, and this is my yard. You're responsible for your yard, and I'm responsible for my yard. And if I have extra time and energy, I'll clean your yard up. But that's not, I can't be expected to do that. Each of us have boundaries. We all have yards. What does, what does the fence mean between our two houses? It shows her where 
her yard begins and where my yard begins. It shows me where my yard ends and hers begin. So all of us have something I like to call a yard. Can everyone say a yard? Okay, I'm going to give you a little picture. How many of you are visual learners? Oh, good, me too. Okay, so here is something. Please don't be jealous of my artistic gift. Okay, just had to laugh at that moment. So all of us have a yard. And your yard is what is in yours, is what's your responsibility and what other people do not have. Okay? This is what God wants you to guard and manage really well. In fact, if you manage this really well, you'll have very little time for anything else. I'll say that again. That was amazing. If you manage this really, really well, you'll have very little time for anything else. You, you can steward this. This is appropriate. It's balanced. It's healthy. It's absolutely, you're empowered to manage this. You know why? If God called you to it, then there's grace to do it. So that's in your yard. There's three specific things that God holds you responsible for. And then I'm going to open up for question and answer because usually people have questions after this kind of stuff. So you can be thinking of what, what you want to talk about. The first thing that God holds us responsible for is our feelings. Everybody say feelings. Feelings. Nothing more. Okay, so feelings. Your feelings are in your yard. Now I want to explain this a little bit. Many times we have been told, don't, don't be led by your emotions, right? Have you ever heard that? Don't let your emotions rule you. It's dangerous. Don't be over emotional, you know, be healthy. Don't do that. Well, your feelings are not wrong. Here's what it's like. How many of you know how much gas you have in your car? How many of you, you watch your gas gauge as you drive around and you watch? Now I am not one of those. I'm one of those that drive around, and when the gas light comes on, I know I need gas. But if somebody was to ask me how much gas in my car, I flip and don't know. I just know that I need gas. Now, Ben, my husband, he watches it. I got a third. I got a half. I know. I got this. How many of you are like that? You watch what's, you overachievers. Look at you. Just smile, because you are brilliant. You are, the, you are the perfect people in the room right now. Okay. So some of us, the light comes on, and then we just know I got a couple minutes, maybe an hour, and then we sometimes just pray. We don't really know. We just pray. And how many of you have ever gotten an extra spiritual language just by driving around on fumes? Okay, so that's that's life. Feelings are like a dashboard in our lives. We're doing life, and then all of a sudden, a light comes up. I'm hanging out, you know. We're we're, we're hanging out, and all of a sudden, Travis goes, "Well, are you going to be there?" And I'm like, anger. What do you think I'm, where do you think I'm going to be? I'm always there, you know? Or, you know, where's that? Well, where do you think it is? And all of a sudden, maybe a frustration comes up. Now, some of you were taught, don't, don't listen to that. Just be nice. Just be nice. Don't be mean. Be quiet. Be sorry. You know, just, just calm down. Now, if you don't listen to a feeling, you're being disrespectful to yourself. If somebody has a feeling and we go, just be quiet. Don't, that's stupid. Don't, no, that's not true. That's actually being very disrespectful to somebody who has a feeling. But here's what I want us to do. I want us to treat our feelings healthy. 
okay? Because that's, I know some of you are like, that doesn't make sense. Listen, when a feeling comes up, it shows us what's going on on the inside, and it shows us that we may have believed something that was wrong, we may have filed it away as inappropriate or wrong, or, not, or it's broken. Something within us, if it's a negative feeling, it comes up. Now, we can choose how we want to feel, which means we can dismiss a feeling, but as long as we know we are allowed to do that and we are fully empowered, it's different for someone to say, be quiet, don't feel that, what's wrong with you? It's way different to have self-talk where we go, that's not true, that's a lie, I'm not going to believe that, I'm going to believe truth. Totally different. One is shame-based. How dare you? Shut up, don't listen to that, be quiet, get better. Another one is, I'm respecting myself and listening and evaluating. Actually, that's really not how I feel. It looked like anger, but it's not anger. I'm tired, frustrated, I, you know, maybe I reacted, maybe I was projecting. That's not true. But feelings are in your yard, which means you're responsible for how you feel, and I'm responsible for how I feel. Well, you made me angry. Really? I didn't know I was that powerful. I didn't know I had the ability to go inside of you and choose anger out of all the other feelings you have. Well, you know, that, you, you made me, you know, I got to be happy. You know, you, you've not made me happy. Well, I didn't know that I, had, I was that powerful in your life. Because you have a plethora of other feelings. You chose anger. I didn't choose anger for you. You chose anger for yourself. Thank you. I wish I had, yeah. Please get your, put that on the memo. Thank you. No, I'm kidding. I'm so glad my husband could hear that. No, okay, so anyway, um, I am not powerful enough to choose any feeling you have. You are responsible. You are responsible for how you feel. If I'm angry, the Bible says I can be angry and sin not. Which means feelings can come up, but it's if we act on that feeling is when we blow it. So we could be having a discussion and I can feel angry, like one time in our marriage, maybe. I'm trying to think. No, listen, I can feel angry. I know I seem very passive. I get it, but I'm not. Um, I can get angry. It's how I treat him in the midst of it, what I choose to do in that anger that's going to change the feel in the room. I can be upset and then go, I need a timeout. Give me a timeout. I need to go think about why I'm feeling anger. And then come over here and begin to say, begin to assess, Lord, help me understand why am I choosing anger? Out of all the feelings, why am I feeling this way? What's going on? Well, it's because when he came in, he didn't say, I love you. He walked through the door, turned the TV on and didn't acknowledge you. And you're feeling, actually, you're feeling that really hurt your feelings. And so that's why you're choosing anger, choosing to punish him without saying anything. So it's an ability to know yourself. The healthier you are, the more you know yourself. And the more you know yourself, the healthier you are. So your ability to honor your feelings but not be led by them is what's powerful. And I'm going to show you a little bit about that. So your feelings are your dashboard. They tell you what's going on the inside. It's like a light. It gives you acknowledge it. You respect it. You see it. Um, but you also don't, aren't led by them. They're just, they're just a warning sign. Does that make sense? So secondly, what's in your yard is something called Attitudes. Everybody say attitudes. Your attitudes are in your yard and God holds you completely responsible for your attitudes. Do you have a bad attitude? Well, guess what? 
you're responsible for it. Where do your attitudes come from? How many of you ever thought, man, I got a stupid attitude about this. I need to have a better attitude about it. Here's where your attitudes come from. Your attitudes come from your core values and your belief system. Your attitudes emerge out of you because you believe something, and so it tells you how to feel about it. Um, Some of you were raised around somebody who was very negative. And the core value was, you know what, we're never going to have enough. You're never going to be enough. We're just surviving. This is how we're going to do life. And so that was a core value that you were raised around. And so it's very hard for you to have a good attitude about your life because you feel like you're just surviving. Some of you were raised around somebody who's very positive. It's all going to work out. We're going to be fine. Very empowering. And guess what? You have a tendency to have a good attitude a lot. Why? Because somebody helped you learn core values and belief systems that allowed you to set your heart on things that are positive. Some of you had a bad attitude until you came to Christ. And then all of a sudden you had hope that you never had before. And that began, you began to go, God has a plan for me. And so that began to change the way you experience life. You go, I don't have a good attitude about my marriage. Well, if you don't have a good attitude about your marriage, you need to go back into your core belief system and your value system to see where you got off. You know, it's almost like, um, have you ever tried to eat healthy and it's really hard? Don't look around. (laughs) How many of you ever tried to tell yourself, just eat nice, come on, just be good, just eat better, and then just kind of shame yourself? How dare, you know, what's wrong with you? Get, you know, get, you got to get better at this. No one, you know, no one likes somebody who's unhealthy. I can't fit anything. And you're shaming yourself into something. How many of you have found that to work? Not very much. We'll change for a day or two, but eventually we'll go, oh, heck with it. I'd rather, you know, cheesecake feels better than this, and it meets more needs in my heart than I want to admit, and so I'm just going to have the cheesecake. Well, listen, it's better statistically, and if you research it, to change your view of food and understand where food comes from. I mean, you guys, I don't know if you've had these campaigns, but in, in the States, we have these campaigns. Jamie Oliver from England comes in, and it's this whole healthy food truck. And here's, let's show kids what chicken nuggets are made out of. And they throw a whole cow into this machine, and it grinds up all the bones and muscles. And, and then they put this pink slime in it. And then they, like, put them in these, like, did you guys know this? Am I cha- okay, good. Sorry, so sorry. They put them in these, like, molds, and they shape them into chicken nuggets. And then, you know, they dip them in bread, and they fry them up, and they're like, hey, welcome to McDonald's. And so, you know, and then and what you see on these shows, people are, like, horrified, like, vomiting, and like, oh, my gosh, this is horrible. And there's this horror of, like, who knew this was happening? And then, you know, and so he does this whole, it's this whole revolutionary thing that they try to do, and people are all, you know, vow, I will never have a chicken nugget again in my life, and french fry or whatever. And some of you right now, you're getting free right now. You're crying. Anyway, I tell my boys, you can have a chicken nugget when you tell me where the nuggets are on a chicken. And so they, they haven't yet, but I'm assuming it's going to get gross really soon. But anyway, so, um, that's exactly what's going on here. Our attitudes many times is, don't eat that. That's bad for you. Don't, don't think about it. Don't want it. Don't drive by it. Don't get a better attitude. Just choose better. Choose better. And what has to happen many times is we need to deconstruct the attitude. We need to figure out where we got it from. Do we get it from somebody else? Were we taught that that's how we're supposed to, 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 to learn? Or, or did, we, did something negative happen and we bought into it? Was it something positive? And we begin to deconstruct our attitudes and those attitudes begin to change. We could all sit in a room right now, and one of us is having a great experience, and one of us is having a negative experience. It very rarely has to do with any one of us. It has to do with what's going on on the inside of that person that determines the experience. 
Remember the two twins? The dad put the two twins in the house. And both of them, he put a bunch of manure. Do you know what manure is? Okay, I hope that's the phrase. Is that the phrase? Poop, crap, whatever. Okay, he puts it in, in this house, in these rooms. And one was a pessimist and one was an optimist. And the, and the, opt, the pessimist is like, comes in and, and, and he's, he's all mad. And, and, the, and the pessimist is like, you know, it's all sitting there, hasn't touched it. And I don't know if I'm going to get this right. But he doesn't touch it and he just says, you know, this is you know, poop. I can't play with this. I don't know what you want me to do. And then he walks into the, to the, the positive twin, the, uh, the optimist, and there's poop everywhere, and it's smeared all over him, and it's all over the walls. And the, the twin looks at me and goes, there's got to be a pony in here somewhere. And so that's kind of the joke. But apparently you haven't heard that. Awesome. Um, that's the attitude. You know, and some of us are born with better attitudes, but ultimately life-giving attitudes are per- filled with purpose. They're filled with love. They're filled with, you can do this. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. You've, you know, this is what it looks like. And so most of the time our attitudes follow us and it doesn't matter. It's very little about, okay, the experience does not determine the attitude. When I get married, I'm just going to be a happy person. Get married. Try it. <laughs> well, when I have that car, I'll be happier. No, you won't. Well, when I, get, you know, when I get a degree and finally graduate, I'll be happy. No, you won't. You know why? Because what you, what's going on in here goes with you. And so many times what we decide to believe, what we decide to feel, is actually what we will experience. Very, very little happens from the outside. The last thing that's in our yard is something called choices. Choices. Everybody say choices. God holds you responsible for your choices. I had a friend who, um, we had a big financial crisis in 2005 in California, and she had bought a home. And on that home, she couldn't afford it, but they were telling us it's going to be the next San Francisco. You need to buy a house quickly. All the prices are going up, and the prices just went up like crazy. So she, uh, they were telling her she was in real estate, and she, she bought this house, and it wasn't more than a month, uh, a year later. They couldn't afford the house. goes into foreclosure, bankruptcy. They, they file bankruptcy, and they lose it all. I'm talking to her. It's been about five years, well, now almost seven years later. I'm talking to her about it. And she said, you know, I'm finally coming to the conclusion that the bankruptcy was my fault. She said, I just always assumed that I got bad real estate advice and it was their fault for giving me that advice. And when she said it, I had this thought, how many of us are still blaming things on other people? I didn't get the right advice. I didn't do, no, listen, listen. Not everybody bought a home during that season. We didn't buy a home during that season. Not everybody had to get in the real estate market not everybody, everybody had the same amount of income at that season, but they chose to make that decision. That doesn't sound good. You chose to marry that person. Well, everyone thought that was the right person. No, you chose. Well, you know, I'm just working this job. It's the only one available. So you're telling me somebody handcuffed you and took you to the job site and you're working that job site. No, you chose that job. Well, you know, my kids, they just, they're irresponsible. They're never grateful for anything. You chose to raise them that way. You see, the more, listen, the more you can take your life back and actually take responsibility for how your life looks, the more empowered you will be to live a different life. You see, your ability 
Listen, my ability to live an abundant life without anyone else participating is what God designed. I'll say that again. This is really important. My ability to live an abundant life without anyone else participating is what God died to give me. And the more that I expect other people to participate and function and show up so that I can live a full life is the, is the, the moment I become a victim to how they treat my world. So my ability to go into any place and be havala, filled with the Holy Spirit, understanding that my feelings and attitudes are within my control and how I choose to respond says everything about me and how you choose to respond says everything about you is the moment I become an empowered person. In every relationship, sorry, the moment I realize that in my relationship, my feelings, attitudes, and choices are mine, and Ben's feelings, attitudes, and choices are his, is the moment we begin to be healthy as a couple. But if my feelings are in his yard, it's when I get dangerous. Now listen, there are some people in your life that will act like their yard is right next to yours, and their feelings are in your yard. And they will say, you made me mad. You, you know, you, you didn't show up. I called you, didn't pick up your phone. You know, you're so mean. Why don't you do that? Why aren't you being nice to me? Listen, they're expecting you. That, listen, why didn't you call me? Your choices are in, you know, in, in your yard. All of this is in there. And they will expect you to manage this. If you're not married, let me tell you, this is a huge issue in marriage. There'll be one spouse that will expect you, that you are now in charge. Well, I came home and you were upset, so now I'm upset. Well, that's funny. You came home and I was upset, so you made a choice to have a bad attitude like I do. Does that make sense? And so we've got to realize, you know what? You chose that. You chose to be upset because I was upset. That's your choice. And that's your attitude. And you could have chose empathy. You could have chose being kind. You could have chose grace. But instead, you chose anger. You chose ridicule. You chose criticism. Instead of being, now listen, if I can manage this well, that says everything about me. And I become a whole person. Now, it takes practice. Someone calls you up. You're going to get a call today. Well, da 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 and this is happening, and this is happening. And what, what, you, what we want to become as Christians and, and healthy people is we want to be able to filter what they're saying. That's in their yard. That's in my yard. That's in their yard. That's in my yard. It sounds like a boulder. Sounds like a backpack. Sounds like a boulder. Sounds like a backpack. Even if it's a boulder, that doesn't mean you have to do anything. Even if it's a boulder, it doesn't mean, well, if you're a God follower, then you need, no, no. Nothing out of, the Bible says don't do anything out of manipulation or coercion or, or, you know, someone getting you. Don't, you are fully empowered to stand back and go, is it time for me to respond or is it not? Your ability to be healthy. Some of you have parents that are right here. And they may have their own yard, but they're yelling into your yard. Right? Here's mom. You know what? You need to be happy because all we do is this. And you should have took that job because I told you that was the best job. And you know what? I, you, need to be, you need to be excited about things and, and you need to have a better attitude about it. They're sitting in and they're yelling at your yard. Come on. What are you doing with your life? Why aren't you married yet? Isn't there anybody? And sometimes with those kind of parents... We actually, in our lives, as we, get grow, as we get older and we start to grow up, we will actually take them 
and move them over here. How do we move them? Well, you don't take every call. You don't go over their house every night. You don't bring up things that you don't want their opinion about. You go, well, that sounds like you're being, no, you're not being mean. You have, remember, God, a godly person manages their life healthy. It's godly for you to have boundaries. Because when you get to heaven, God will not say, how did you, how did you take care of mom's feelings? And how did you treat her? And did you, did you take care of her house like she said, like she wanted you to? And God's not going to, he's not going to ask you how you managed everybody else's yard. He's going to look at you and say, did you manage your yard well? How are your choices? How are your feelings? How are your attitudes? Were you healthy in your, in your, in the way that you treated And see, ultimately, and I don't have time to talk all about this, but your choices, feelings, and attitudes are in your yard, and then you get healthy people. Some of you have really healthy people around you. And so they'll know when you go, they'll say, hey, can you help me? And you go, oh, I can't. And they'll go, oh, no problem. They don't manipulate. They don't guilt trip. Well, I know. I just don't have anybody else. Well, that's funny. I said no and you didn't even respect my no, you turned around and let me know that you have nobody else as if it's in my yard. It's not my responsibility of nobody else and it's the last minute. That was your responsibility. Remember that thing on Pinterest that says, my, don't, don't act like your crisis is my crisis. Your, your last minute planning is not my crisis. Now I'm not trying, trying to be unloving. Hear me, hear me, hear me. I'm kind of the pendulums over here because I feel like the church has, we're less likely to have godly boundaries. If you have great boundaries, then you live that out. You're doing great. But mostly it gets harder. And every, every environment, you have to work out how this is going to work. You get a new job, guess what? Your boss is going to have very distinct feelings about your choices and about your attitude. New job, somebody has new opinions. And you're going to have to be able to filter. Now, this is another key factor. My mom, my dad and mom are very traditional in their marriage which means my dad works full-time, comes home, she has dinner waiting on the table, she picks up his dishes, she does his dishes, she does all the grocery shopping, all the bill paying, she does all of that. He works. Very, very Italian, very traditional. Ben and I are very non-traditional, meaning we, we share the load. We're a team. I mean, if you can do it and I can't get to it, you do it. If I can't get to it, you do it. And so there are certain things that we are absolutely traditional about, but other things we're just really not. I think even this next generation, a lot of us are, are coming into a more of a team environment, like as a partnership. Now, when I used to see my mom do this, I would get mad. Mom, he's a grown man. Mom, he can get his own food. Mom, stop it. Go make him put his dish away. Mom, don't do that for him. And one day she lovingly challenged me and she said, Havala, I like doing this. I like doing this for your father. And what she was saying is, I absolutely have the choice to say no, but I have a good attitude about it and I like doing it. And so I'm fully empowered to help him do what he can already do for himself, but I'm fully aware of it and I'm fully okay with it. Does that make sense? So it's not so much, well, this is what freedom looks like and this isn't. It's, do you feel like you can do it And did you make the choice or was the choice made for you? That's really what it is. Was the choice made for you or did you make the choice? And then also, in the midst of it, if you made the choice, do you have a good attitude about it? You know, some of you, you'll make a choice and you made the choice and then you're going to have a bad attitude. So you'll go, well, I made the choice, but it wasn't how I thought it would be. And so then it's your choice to have a bad attitude about it. 
You said yes. That was your choice. Nobody, nobody, well, they manipulated me. They're, you mean they're powerful? They handcuffed, they drugged you. They put a drug in your drink, and now all of a sudden you're here helping them. No, you made the choice to do it. The more you can pull that in, the more you'll be healthy. Choices, feelings, and attitudes are yours. They're your responsibility. And so when I talk about load in the Bible backpack, many times people will ask you to take care of these things. Make me happy, make me feel good about my life, and make sure that I make the right decisions. That's their load. And it will feel like for a moment that you're powerful enough to make somebody happy because you'll do something and they'll get excited and you'll think, and it's deceiving. Oh, I'm powerful enough to make them happy. Oh, I'm the one that you're not. It's a mirage. It's a lie. They chose happiness. So you'll have to backtrack that a little bit in your life to get healthy. Does that make sense? Is this good? Good. I'm glad the three of us are loving this. Okay, so managing your boundaries well will have very little time for anything else. Boundaries create protection for us and for others. It keeps the good in and the bad out. The Bible says that there is one important boundary word in Matthew 5, 7. It's a boundary word, and that word is no. No. No, I can't do that. No, you can't talk to me that way. No, I won't do this. Now, what's interesting is, can you... How do you stop, I want to say, how do you set limit on others? How do you set limits on others? You ready? You want to write this down. How do you set limits on others? You can't. I'm not powerful enough to make Ben do anything. I can't say, you can't talk to me that way and you can't treat me that way. No, no, I'm not, I can't make him not. He's an adult. He can do whatever he wants. What I can do is limit my time around them. If someone's behaving poorly, then they don't get to hang out with me. Ben and I, we've adopted this in our marriage, but we, I'm a very passionate person. Ben is more passive, but if you cross his values, he becomes passionate. Does anybody have somebody in their life like that? Passive, 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 cross their boundaries, or cross their values, get ready. They're like, you know, they, they will come at, they, will, they are strong. So what we have found is many times our relationship, things can get disrespectful. Because I came from a home where everyone had a vote and everyone had to talk. And he came from a home that didn't, didn't argue very much. So it was only very intense or not at all. Even that was very little. So what's happened in our marriage is someone gets disrespectful. They yell at you or they, you know, they're upset at you or how dare you. And they're, you know, maybe cussing at you or talking to you. The best thing, that, that didn't happen with us. I'm sorry, I will clarify that. But the best thing we can do is, hey, I would love to finish this conversation when it's respectful, but it's, when it's, it's turned disrespectful. So I will be in the kitchen. And when you want, when you want to be respectful, I'll be in there. Now, initially, when you set boundaries like that with people, they'll get, well, you know, you just are always running. You never want to talk about these things. Look at, you know, you're always, I'm the only one that shows up in this relationship. I'm the only one that's talking about this. They will try to bait you. They will bait you. They'll text you. You know, where are you? What are you doing? Well, you know, you're the one that never, because everyone has courage on a text message. Have you noticed that? How courageous we are on a text message? Nobody will flip and say it in your face, but hey, on a text message, they'll give it to you. Just ticks me off. Anyway, and I've done it myself, sent text messages and just turn my phone off quickly. That's not healthy either. <laughs> you ever done that? Sent a text message to turn your phone off? I was at the movies. I'm so sorry. Your phone's blowing up. Anyway, so... Your ability to, um, they, they will bait you. But if you follow through, 
Hey, I'm about to, I'm going to, you know, I'd love to talk about this. I'm going to hang up the phone because this is getting disrespectful. And when you want to talk about it in a respectful tone, you're welcome to call me back. Don't you hang up if you follow through. I'm going now. Click. Kind, not mean, not you jerk. I'm about to set boundaries on you. No, no, listen. Just, I'd love not changing your tone, not being angry, not baiting them. I'd love to talk about this with my kids. I want water. I want water. I never have any water. Yeah, because we never feed you water. We say, listen, I would be happy to get you water when you want to ask in a nice way. But I need water. I'm going to die. I've never had any water. You've never helped me. Hey, sweetheart, Judah, I would love to get you water. When you want to ask in a nice way, I'll be over here. Does that make sense? So you're not telling them. I can't say, don't you talk to me that way. You don't. Well, they might obey you for a little bit, but they're not learning to control themselves. They're just, they're just afraid of you. And so in friendships and relationships, we're not trying to just power somebody. Oh, well, you, don't you ever talk to me. I'll, you know, I'll throw you under the bus. I'll tell you exactly what I think. We're not trying to sh- shut them down. We're just wanting them to know, hey, to be in my world, you have to be respectful. Why? Because I respect myself. And I would never let anyone else, I would never talk to myself that way. So you don't get to talk to me that way. So I'll be over here. And when you want to be respectful, and what's happened in our marriage is when one of us says that, we know we're serious. And we're like, oh, I'm sorry. Okay, what would you like to say? Because we know that that person's going to tap out and leave if we're not respectful. And so it keeps everything very respectful and, and, and full of grace. Does that make sense? So your ability to set boundaries, um, you know, I don't do a lot of things over text or email, to be honest. I find people will say things. And so um, I also, if somebody's antagonistic or aggressive, I'll never meet them at their house alone or in a private place, always a public place. People are, will watch how they act way differently in a public place. And even with Ben and I, when we've, when we've come into crossroads in our marriage and relationship, we will even go somewhere publicly and talk about something because we just find that that accountability in public allows us to be gracious and a little bit more aware. Does that make sense? Don't look at me like I'm a heathen. Come on now. That's just the truth. God doesn't set limits. He sets standards. God doesn't limit his exposure to evil um, and unrepentant people. And, and um, Sorry, God limits his exposure to evil and unrepentant people, and so should we. Setting internal boundaries are important. We need to have spaces inside of ourselves where we can feel, listen, this is important, then I'm done. We can feel something. We can, we can think something, and we can want to do something, but we don't act on it. That's called self-control. You're never going to get to a place where it's like, I've never had a sinful thought in my, I've never, all my feelings are amazing. All my attitudes are amazing. I'm like Jesus on the earth. No, listen, you're going to have, we have, we still have things in us that are broken, that are just not, we haven't processed, like processed well, processed well. Look, there's things that we've done, but, but your ability to be able to have something come up and quickly assess, is that the right attitude? Is that the right feeling? Why am I feeling that way? Well, it's linked to this. Well, it's linked to my attitude. Why is it linked to my attitude? Because I believe this about myself. Well, that's not healthy. Let's align that with the word of God or what God's saying over me. Okay, that's healthy. Okay, I believe that, which in turn brings my, addict, my feelings into health, and then it changes the choices that I make. Does that make sense? So it's all linked together. Someone doesn't just make a bad choice. You don't just make bad choices. They're linked with the way you feel about your life, the way you feel about yourself, which is linked to the attitude, what you believe about yourself and what's been told to you and what you've bought into. Does that make sense? So there's nothing wrong with you. Like, I just want you to hear that. There's nothing wrong with you. You just, 
these are things that not everybody gets. This isn't, I was raised in a very healthy, happy family, and I had to learn all of this. There's nothing wrong. Oh, I should know this. No, these are things, again, being mean to yourself is expecting yourself to have tools for things you've never done before. That's mean. To expect yourself to know how to be married, how to have kids, how to have a job, how to be educated, how to be in this season, how to be single. Oh, I should just know how to do this. No, you, that's, being, that's being really disrespectful to yourself. You don't know what it's like to be in this season. You have never been here before. Never been the age you are. Never had the money you've had. You never had the opportunity you've had. So your ability to go be really kind to yourself is really important. Like you need to learn to be kind to yourself. I've never been here before. Oh, I'm a 65-year-old man. I should know. No, no. You've never been a 65-year-old man before. You've never had grown-up kids before. You've never been at this place of retirement. You don't know. You're, you're still a newbie. And everything starts at baseline, and we grow from that. Does that make sense? I'm almost done. This is, I'm, I love teaching this. We need to respect others' boundaries well. We cannot heal what we do not acknowledge. God set a boundary. This is what he did. In, in Revelations, and I'm closing with this, he said, I stand at the door and I knock. And then if you don't answer, I barge in and I make you surrender your will. No, no. God says he stands at the door and he knocks. And then the next phrase is what? If anyone hears my voice, and then what? Who opens the door? We do. God doesn't open the door for you. He opens the door for you. I'm sorry, excuse me, you open the door for him. Let's get that right. So that's a sign of God's boundaries with us. So some of us treat our relationships, I'm going to open the door, and if you don't text me back, I'm going to come to your house and knock on your door. I'm going to barge in and find out what you're doing. No, no. God doesn't treat us that way. We can't treat others that way. Does that make sense? So your yard, your boundaries, your choices, all of that's healthy. I began to grow in this. I'm still learning. I'm learning. I've never had a seven, six, three, one-year-old. I've never been married almost nine years. I've never been, you know, traveled the world like we are these days. I, I've never done any of this. So I'm learning. Wait a minute. That's not mine. That's not, and when I'm tired, I have a tendency to pull in more think people are more responsible for me or I'm responsible for other people. I'm more vulnerable. See, part of being mature is managing your anxiety. Because anxiety makes us do things crazy. We do things that are wild. Now, it's anxiety. Well, that's not the Lord. Listen, when you're anxious, which is, it's okay, we just have a tendency to do things. So I have different internal verbiage that I use. So I'll say things. I had to memorize this. My counselor would say this to me. I have done nothing wrong. How they choose to respond is up to them, and how I choose to respond is up to me. I have done nothing wrong. How they choose to respond is up to them, and how I choose to respond says everything about me. I have done nothing wrong. And I would have this internal. Every time I go to do something, I have done nothing wrong. How they, how they respond says everything about them. How I respond says everything about me. Does that make sense? So we start to have this internal godly balance in our lives. And that is it. Does that make sense? All right, questions. Does anybody have a question when it comes to boundaries uh, or thought, concern, or rebuke? Anybody want to rebuke me publicly? I dare you. No, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. Um, Does anybody have a thought or something that they would like answered about this? Um, Yes. Go ahead, babe. 
um, we are very healthy in the sense that we are self-aware and we acknowledge, okay, um, this was the immediate reaction, but I need to step back and reevaluate. But I find that a lot of the time, just um, acknowledging the root of the issue isn't isn't solving the problem because you still have to deal with the root of the issue. For um, you personally, or for the other person? Well, well, for both of us. I'm like I'm not talking about like in conflict or anything. I'm just th these are conversations I've had with yes, my friends. Yes. And we we no, both I, like are on the same page in that sense. That yeah, okay. Oh, I'm angry. Wait, why am I angry? Well, they said this to me that, and I became angry because I'm insecure about this or something like that. So then that's the insecurity. The insecurity is the root of the issue. So where do I go from there? How do I deal with something like that? Like, I would right. assume that that's more about like taking it to God and like dealing with dealing. Okay. So insecurity is not the root. Let's just, we'll just clear that up right there. I'm insecure. That's still not the root. The root of insecurity is not, I'm insecure. You know why? Because the spirit of God lives within you and the spirit of God's not insecure. So insecurity is linked to a lie that you've believed. And so what we want to do is link, not just I'm insecure. That's why I did it. You want to link it to what have I believed about myself? There's, there's a lie that I've agreed with. And so sometimes I think insecurity is not the root. Well, I'm just, I'm not that self-confident. Well, then somewhere you've believed a lie. You don't get to be powerful. You don't have a voice. Well, who treated you that way? And then your acknowledgement of that. Now, again, and this is, I think, what you're leaning towards a little bit. Just because we acknowledge it, we also have to change. And so sometimes we can go, well, I'm just angry because I've got a bad childhood. Well, that doesn't help. We're changing. And so sometimes our ability to have boundaries when somebody's treating us a certain way. Now, if it doesn't turn disrespectful, that's up to them. If it's disrespectful, then, it's, then you start to set boundaries like, hey... I know that you responded to insecurity, anxiety, or whatever, and I know that that's rooted in this lie. Um, but I want you to know the next time you do that, I'm not going to be able to be around this. And starting to set up boundaries where they have a consequence that will cause them to change. Does that make sense? So it's, it's, there's no consequence if I did something negative and all my friends come to me and let's just pray you through this and walk you through it. Well, guess what? That's called negative attention. That's called, hey, let's just parent you through this forever. And, that, and then a lot of times people get addicted to that. Well, I'll just act negative, And then everyone comes around me, wants to be around me. Well, that's, that's not healthy either. So our ability to say, hey, just so you know, the next time you do this, what would you like me to do? And so we do that in our marriage. The next time I react this way because I'm not changing, what would be a good, what would be a good wake-up call for me? So maybe even with your girlfriends, the next time I respond this way, what would you like me to do? Because I find that there's still a habit here. There's still something, you're still doing these things, and I feel like we're not, you're not growing, it's not changing. Uh, sometimes we have to go to counseling and find out a root. Sometimes we need prayer counseling. Sometimes we just need an intervention. Sometimes we need to fast and pray. God, show me what this root is. Because just, we don't want to partner with weakness. We want to partner with strength. And so sometimes we can partner with a weakness and go, well, that's just who I am. I'm just insecure. No, 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 no. God did not die. He didn't send his only son so you could be insecure. He died so you could be empowered. Does that make sense? So I know there's probably more complexity to that question. Yeah, and again, you know, some of it is an aha moment and some of it's a process. I mean, to be honest, there are some things that God just delivers us from and we get an aha and oh, that was it. But most of the time, we've got to walk it through. And sometimes you need people smarter than you in your community to help you. So sometimes I'll go to my friends and they'll give me some thoughts. And I'll go, yeah, that's it. But other times I've gone to like a counselor or a leader and they'll have a different thought. And I'll go, that's what it is. So sometimes it's more self-awareness. Sometimes you grow out of it. 
I hate to say that. How old are you? 22. So sometimes, and those of us that are mature a little bit, we know some things we grow out of where we go, actually, that's just, I was just immature and insecure because I was young. I mean, at 25, I became, how many of you are 20, over 25? And you go, I just felt more secure. Why? Because your brain actually finishes forming and you begin to see clearly. Some of us, I'm now 36. I'm way happier and see things that I don't respond insecure like I did when I was younger, not because I was rooted in a lie, it was rooted in immaturity. It's a phase. I hate to say that, but it's permission to do that. I know that's not all that you're saying, but that's